Leaning Toward Wisdom, Modern Tales of an Ancient Pursuit, for Thursday, December the 7th, 2023. Greetings and welcome inside the Yellow Studio. My name is Randy Cantrell. I'm your host here. The website is leaningtowardwisdom.com. Let's talk about shameless retirement. Now you're not in retirement age. Got no interest in this. That's cool. I, I absolutely don't mind. You might want to listen anyway. I'll make it worth your while. I promise. Well, I'll try. Shameless. It is an adjective meaning insensible to disgrace. Retirement. A noun meaning a withdrawal from one's position or occupation or from active working life or the age at which one normally retires. That's kind of sort of how I mean it. Uh, let me give you a quick update. Yellow Studio 4.0, as I said to you last week, it's coming right along. I'm continuing to devote a little bit more time into trying to get this thing up and running and ready. I'm yeah, probably not going to make a maiden voyage in the Yellow Studio 4.0 in 2023. I'm probably going to intentionally wait until 2024, but that's okay. Nothing wrong with that. So coming right along. The United States adopted an initial retirement age of 65 with the Social Security Act of 1935. By the mid-20th century, almost all the countries in the world had adopted a retirement age of somewhere, most of them, between the ages of 60 and 65. Some are a little bit older, some are a little bit younger. There's a few countries out there that are like 58, and there's a few out there that are like 67. But 60 to 65 is typically what we think of when we think of retirement age. And here in America, we think of 65 because of Social Security. About 40% of Americans receive Social Security benefits as their exclusive income. The average benefit is just over $1,700. I think that was as of 2020. Yeah, financial advice out there is wildly varied, but you will find many, 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 many advisors who widely suggest that no more than 70% of your retirement income should come from Social Security. Now, I don't know how many people that really applies to. I think one number that I saw was about 4% of, of Americans, somewhere around that. It was a really low number, actually have retirement and some other kind of, you know, of a pension kind of a thing. So it's a really small number that have that. But if you were to collect the average amount of Social Security that is paid today, that $1,700, then you would have a monthly income of about $2,400 if if that 70% of your t retirement income just came from Social Security and you were able to supplement that some other way. So if you added 30% on top of 1700 then you'd end up with a monthly 
income of about $2,400. That's $28,800 a year. That is hardly a comfortable living for most people. In fact, based on the national cost of living, even in really, really affordable states, that's that still is an inadequate number, $28,800. Now, as of this year, as of 2023, the average check to 65-year-olds is about $2,500 a month. So if we were to apply that 70% suggestion, and if $2,500 a month represented 70% of your monthly income, and you were somehow you could supplement that with another 30%, then that means you would go from $2,500 a month up to $3,600 a month. Now you're at $43,200 a year. $43,200 a year versus $28,800. That's $14,400 more than $28,800. In fact, it's it's exactly half of $2,880. So you're earning 50% more. Now, there are a lot of people out there that are doing math like this, and I'm not, this is not a math podcast because I'm not a, I'm a math guy in the sense of doing spreadsheets, but I'm not a math guy in that it's not one of those things that kind of comes natural to me. But there's a lot of people out here doing math, urging people to collect Social Security as soon as you can. Get, you can qualify at the age of 62, get it, jump all over it. And for some people, I'm sure that makes sense, but for others, it may not. I am not an accountant. I am not a financial advisor. I'm not advising anybody to do anything when it comes to your money. I'm just a guy sitting inside the yellow studio, 3.1, making observations about how, well, making some observations because now I'm 66 and a half. I have hit bingo, 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 bingo. I have blacked out. I've hit full retirement age. FRA, full retirement age. Full retirement age is the age that you must reach to receive full retirement benefits from Social Security. And your FRA depends on the year you were born. In the United States, it's 66 and two months for those people born in 1955. It increases gradually all the way to 67 for those people who were born after 1960. Well, if you were born in 1960, I suppose, or later. Now, my wife and I were born in that magical year, 1957. And so for us, the computation works out 66 and a half. That is our full retirement age. We can achieve full retirement benefits from Social Security at 66 and a half. I achieved that in November, and Rhonda hit it here in December. This is all great. This is all wonderful. But life is more than numbers. But the numbers matter. Now, what about things other than numbers? Well, I don't know. Let's talk a little bit about routine and habits because these tend to overpower older lives. I would argue these overpower all of our lives, but they really can overpower older lives. I've told you before, neuroscience is something that I just wish I had the brain power for. I don't. And frankly, even if I had the brain power, by the time the interest really, really kicked in for me some years ago, yeah, it was I'm probably too long, right? Too, too, too late of a start. 
I'm really, really fascinated by it, though. Now, I've always been fascinated by psychology kind of stuff. But the neuroscience stuff is really intriguing to me. And there's plenty of books and there's plenty of stuff that you can find out there if you are so interested. But neuroscience informs us that we are all subject to this word that many people have not heard. I hadn't heard of it until, I don't know, some years ago. Habituation. Habituation. Habituation is the decrease in response to a stimulus after repeated presentations. Think of it as you just kind of get immune to stuff after a while. You just kind of get blind and numb to stuff after a while because it's just kind of your ordinary routine. It's habit. The American Psychological Association says that it involves, quote, growing accustomed to a situation or stimulus, thereby diminishing its effectiveness. Yeah. Uh, You know, I don't know. There's all kinds of things that we could call it. People call it being stuck, getting in a rut. That's habituation. It's, you know, we've just been doing the same thing, the same thing, the same thing. There's this image it's a it's a pretty in, interesting test i'll try to find it and put it in the show notes go to leaning toward and just find this episode on shameless retirement it's an image that's got uh, some kind of blended colors in the background they're subtle and they're kind of pastel and right in the middle is this plus sign a really dark black plus sign not very big, but right in the middle of the page. And it's surrounded by all these colors. And if you focus for about 30 seconds on just the black plus sign, pretty soon you notice you, you, you don't see any colors anymore. Neuroscience says because the part of your brain, you're focused on this black plus sign, and your brain no longer needs to process these colors because they're not the focal point. Do the colors disappear? No, they're there. You just don't notice them. It's kind of a form of habituation. In fact, some people report that you can stare at that black plus sign so long that not only do the colors disappear because then everything just kind of looks gray, but if you continue to focus, the gray turns white. You don't even notice the colors, but then you don't even notice the shade of gray that is the background because that stimulus is just no longer, it's, it's not doing anything. You're not even recognizing it. It has a diminished impact because your brain has just grown accustomed to staring at this black plus sign. We've got all kinds of things like this in our life. But let me ask you a question. What produces satisfaction or happiness? Now, you probably are going to bark out any number of things that you think it is. Research has shown that meaning is number one and control is number two. And I don't mean control in a bad way, but in a good way. I mean, we need meaning in our lives. We need some way to measure our worth, our value in the world. We also need a degree of control over our own lives. Freedom is choice. Freedom is the ability to make a choice And that is largely how we execute control. When we don't have choice, 
there's no, there is no control. We don't have a choice. Our hand is forced. And as we grow older, both of these meaning and control, they can be challenges. Well, no big surprise there. I don't think because frankly, it doesn't matter how old you are. If you are of any age at all, meaning and control matter. We've all experienced moments where, you know, we hit this high in meaning and control, right? Where we're just kind of in flow, man, everything is just going great, right? We're feeling good about it and feeling good about our choices, feeling good about where we fit in life and how we're making a difference at work, at home, whatever. And it's kind of like that big, that first big raise that you got. Remember that, but it doesn't seem to last because things seem to settle into some sort of norm sooner than later. The raise that we thought would just have some catastrophic positive. Can something be positively catastrophic? Maybe not. I don't know. I mean, come on, go with me, lean into it. It just, it just seems to be absorbed and soaked up by just life. And it's like, man, live. I thought, man, I thought when I'm, we made this much money, we'd be, man, we'd be in tall cotton and the cotton doesn't feel any taller here. Psychologists, well, neuroscientists, maybe more correctly call it the hedonic treadmill. And it's the idea that an individual's level of happiness after this rising or falling in response to some positive or negative thing in our life, ultimately it just tends to move back to where it was before we ever experienced those things. You know, it's kind of like that proverbial set point some years ago. Oh, probably 30. Set point. Weight set point was a big, big deal. You, you'd, you'd see it in all of the weight loss stuff, you know, that uh, you need to change your set point. Your set point in your body is kind of like that thermostat, and it's really hard to change. But, man, you can do this. You can do these exercises. You can implement this kind of a diet uh, regimen, and you can change your the set point. But it is kind of fascinating that there does appear to be something like a set point and that our bodies just kind of gravitate to this certain kind of a weight, especially if we've been at a certain weight for a period of time and to change that is hard doable, but, but hard. Well, this hedonic treadmill, same kind of a thing, but it's more of a happiness set point. Now this is where habituation is a double-edged sword because habituation is not a negative thing. Don't think that well, this, this stimulus, it's just, it's been this way. We've seen this, we've experienced this, it's kind of become habit and, and that it's all negative. It's not because it helps us progress. It helps us move forward, even though it's been proven that it may rob us of some joy, but without habituation, we are incapable of moving. I mean, imagine getting up every, every morning and every little decision is, is a, is all afresh every day. I mean, how exhausting would it be to get out of bed and just think, okay, what am I going to do? I mean, if you're like me, it's, I'm mean, come on. The first thing we're going to do, is we're going to avoid our bladder. I'm going to brush my teeth. I mean, it's just, it's kind of this autopilot behavior. Yeah. That's habituation. So some of it is very, very positive. 
And without it, imagine how exhausting our lives would be. So we need, we need these habits to a point. We do need, we just need to be mindful of our need for and the benefits of change, new experiences, new things, new learning, new growth. Scary can be good. Yeah, of course it can be bad too, but just because it's scary doesn't mean that it's one or the other. Just because it's scary doesn't mean it's good, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's bad either. It just means it's uncomfortable because it's outside of our habits. It's outside of the norm. It's not ordinary. It's not what we're used to. This is how we effectively combat boredom and complacency. Joy and happiness have been proven they are not the result of boredom or complacency. Bored, complacent people do not tend to be people filled with joy or happiness. So let me throw some words at you. Meaning, control, happiness, joy, fulfillment, contentment, purpose. Now let's pile on top of those some other words. Overhead, expenses, income, savings, bills. Let's add some more. Family, relationships, community. Now, these are not age-specific terms. It doesn't matter if we're young, old, or somewhere in between. All of these words matter. Now, some of them, they bubble up to the top, and they overpower the others. And maybe just for a moment, maybe for a period of time, but then they fall back somewhere in the hierarchy of what matters most to us, and others bubble up and overtake them. And it's just kind of this this ongoing horse race where the the lead horse is never in the lead very long. It's this roller coaster that is our life as we are all navigating the challenges, the opportunities, whatever whatever the mundaneness is that rules our life. This is what we do. This is what all of us do. The other night, Rhonda and I were watching Outlander. It is on stars. We we we, we subscribe to stars when the new Outlander comes out, right? She, she's read all these. I can't remember the author's name, but Rhonda's read these books for years, and we're, we're now up to season seven. This is the most current season of Outlander. Well, as with most great stories, you know, there's, there's lots of action. There's constant drama. There's just ongoing challenges. There's ongoing difficult. There's just one challenge after another. There's just one bad circumstance after another. Jamie and Claire are the main characters. It's a husband and a wife. And we're watching this first episode of season seven. And I say to her, you know, they just can't settle on a little farm somewhere and live a happy life. And she says, well, there wouldn't be much of a story to that. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But so often we claim that we would prefer this trouble-free existence. We just, we want this life where everything is just boring and mundane, but we think of, we, we want it to be boring and mundane in all the best ways. But you know, if we had a life like that, we would grow so disengaged, so disinterested, and so ridiculously miserable. Did you know that research has shown if you put people in a room with nothing, 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 nothing to do except to give themselves a mild shock, they'll shock themselves. 
just to feel something, just to do something. Instead of sitting passively in this room all by themselves with nothing to do but to be alone with your thoughts, you will shock yourself. <laughs> I mean, this is fascinating proof to me that we crave, we crave encouragement. Now, we've all heard of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And at the base of it, yeah, there'll be a diagram. There's got to be an image somewhere I can beg, borrow, or steal and put in the show notes. I'll, I'll put it in there. It's, it's typically depicted as a pyramid. And at the base of the pyramid is physiological needs. For example, breathing, food, water, shelter, clothing, sleep. These are physiological needs. These are priority number one. Right above that in the, in the pyramid, as we move up now toward the tip, safety and security. Now we pile on top of breathing, food, water, shelter, clothing, and sleep, health, employment, property, family, social ability. That's all under this safety and security. From there, we go to love and belonging, friendship, family, intimacy, sense of connection. Now we're getting up toward the top. Self-esteem, confidence, achievement, respect of others, the need to be a unique individual. And then we get to the pinnacle, the tip top of the pyramid, self-actualization, morality, creativity, spontaneity, acceptance, purpose, meaning, inner potential. Now, in the hierarchy of needs, it's this motivational theory in psychology of these five tiers of human needs. I suspect once you move past the first and second level, the physiological needs and the safety and security, I would suspect that these could vary depending on how we roll, depending on who we are, what's important to us, how we're wired. But I don't think there's much doubt. Is I mean, is there? I don't think there's much doubt that the first two, they're real survival needs, which is why money is so important. I mean, whether it's income or savings, money enters and exits our lives every day because we have these physiological and we have these safety and security needs. We need a place to live. We need food to eat. We need clothes to wear. We need a place to sleep. And we need to know that we're not going to be constantly having to fight to stay alive in the process. We don't want to lay down at night worried that, you know, some booger is going to come and get us. Now, as we get older, those first two stages of needs, physiological needs and safety and security, there's no question those can become more challenging. And it's amplified when control begins to slip away as well. And, of course, meaning that can erode too. And these are recipes for late life misery. And I'm ashamed to tell you, but it's just a reality. There are a lot of people who are experiencing late life misery because of these circumstances. Age takes a toll on us all. You know, just recently, uh, President Jimmy Carter, he buried former First Lady Rosalind. They'd been married 77 years. And they will President Carter in, and, I mean, he just looked awful. Now, he is 99 years old. But, you know, age doesn't care. 
Age doesn't care any more than death. Death, which ideally is preceded by old age, it comes for everybody. And however difficult youth may seem or however difficult youth may have seemed for you, if it's past tense, old age is more difficult. But hopefully, hopefully, and I'm optimistic, life has taught us the resolve that we need to navigate old age successfully. Hopefully we are surrounded by family that will help us, but still it's up to each one of us to do our part, to battle what we can, to accept what we can't battle and to keep moving. Even if it's merely an inch at a time to keep moving forward toward what's next. Now what? Now what? It's the most important two word question that I know of to ask myself or to ask those people that in the day job, the people that I coach now, what? So as I stare into the abyss of misery that is presented in the form of some current challenge, I will ask myself, okay, now what? Now, now what am I going to do? Now, what is my best move forward? And as I help somebody else who is staring into their own abyss, I will ask of them, okay, now what? Now, what do you want to do? Now, what are you going to do? I mean, no point in fixating on how we got here, except to learn from it. No point in finger pointing so we can assign blame. No point in feeling sorry for ourselves. No point in assuming the role of a victim. We might think that's helpful. It's not. Mostly, we are victims of our own making. Not always, but much, much, much of the time. And much of the time, we completely discount that. We ignore that. We refuse to take any blame or responsibility for it. This just makes us feel better about ourselves to know that somebody did that to me. When in reality, mostly we did it to ourselves. Shameless retirement is about owning it. It's about figuring out how we can best move forward later in life. It's not about resignation from growth. It's not about resignation from learning or improvement. No, rather, this is about figuring out how to keep those components, growth, learning, and improvement. How can we keep these components vital in our daily existence? Some days you eat the bear. Some days the bear eats you. Well, it's a proverb, and it means sometimes you win. Sometimes you lose. Everybody has some successes. Everybody also has some failures. And still we press on. Unashamed. Unashamed because our progress is our own unique journey that we hopefully share with somebody we love and somebody who loves us. And maybe more than ever before, it's about behaving in a way where we have pride in ourselves Not because what we're doing is performative, because it's not about showing off, but it is about showing up, and it is about us showing ourselves. The old couple, they've been married for almost 60 years. Their little frame house, it was built over 40 years ago. They bought it new. That's less than 1,000 square feet. And that house... They bought it new. They've been married 60 years. 40 of those years, they've spent it in this little house. I mean, this this little house has defined their marriage life as far as a house goes. They drive a modest little Toyota. 
about eight years ago, give or take, they constructed this small micro bedroom suite in their basement to see if they might be able to rent it on Airbnb. Well, turns out it resulted in nightly rentals of about 50 bucks and they rent it enough nights a month that it makes an enormous difference in their financial lives. They'll tell you it's a godsend. And they seem quite contented, happy even. Game nights with neighbors and friends who they've lived around for many years occupy their lives. I don't have any idea what their financial situation looks like, but it appears their needs are met. And financially, that seems to be good enough. Those other needs in that Maslow's hierarchy of needs, I mean, those seem to be well under control as I watch them march forward day by day, month by month, year by year. But does it really matter if miles away there is some other couple, perhaps years younger, who occupy a million-dollar house on a lake? No. Does it matter if somebody else, even a close neighbor or friend, has an investment portfolio that makes them look pathetic? No. Does it matter how they stack up financially, emotionally, physically, or even spiritually to anybody else? No. And it's got nothing to do with retirement, really. It's got really nothing to do with being older. Mostly, it seems to just have to do with living without shame. Living respect, respectfully, living respectably, living honorably, being the best human we know to be putting in the hard work to build the highest integrity possible. Now, let me add to it because I'm an unashamed Christian, devoting ourselves fully to God, the creator. The apostle Paul wrote to the congregation in Rome in Romans chapter one, verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Contrast that with another scripture that properly depicts a life of depravity and selfishness and sin. Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 15. Were they ashamed when they committed abomination? No, they were not at all ashamed. They did not know how to blush. Therefore, they shall fall among those who fall. At the time that I punish them, they shall be overthrown, says the Lord. Shame is a helpful thing when we deserve it. When we're wrong, it can help us course correct. Shamelessness is beneficial when we've earned it. When our behavior gives us no reason to be ashamed. And it's not because we're better than anybody else, because we can always find somebody that's doing it worse than we are. And it's not because we're worse than anybody else, because, well, we can always find somebody doing it even worse. Shame and shamelessness are uniquely our own merit based on right and wrong. I mean, some of that spiritually, for instance, is an absolute truth. I believe as a Christian, the Bible is truth, that the Bible is the inerrant word of God, the supreme truth that we must all either reject or accept and live accordingly. But there's other things you know, like how we manage our retirement, that's uniquely our own decision to navigate it as we see fit. I would hope, I would hope by the time we reach retirement age that we have learned a valuable lesson. 
And that is what others choose to do in their retirement has no impact on us unless we let it. But I will tell you that that is a, that is a lesson that transcends age and retirement. That what other people choose to do with their life has no impact on us unless we let it. And so what have I learned now that I've reached full retirement age? And now that I am days away, I am mere days away, people, from getting my very first social hello, social security check. And, and listen, dumb me, being the naive guy that I am with all this stuff, because, hey, I'm, I'm learning. I'm learning. I've never, I've never collected a social security check before. Uh, but I'm fixing to. So I hit for retirement age in November. Okay, well, duh, dumb me. I'm thinking, okay, well, the first check's going to come in November. No, no, you get paid in arrears. So it starts in November. Your November check arrives eh, around mid-December. So I'm a, I'm a week away, I'm give or take. Okay, I'm really not going to get a check. It's a direct deposit, but you, you, you get the drift. You know, I could... What have I learned in all this? I could pine about what I might wish I would have done sooner, but you know, that's past. And frankly, right now, I don't have statistical time on my side to do anything about it, except maybe just pass it on. But I'm going to refrain from that because, well, if you're younger, you probably stopped listening. Well, you probably didn't even click play on today's. And if you did click play and you're still listening, bully for you. I'm, I'm super thankful. Uh, but you're probably thinking retirement, I'm decades away from that. And if you're older, then you're probably in the same boat as me. You're probably thinking, well, it's too late to do much about it now. I mean, for example, I could tell you, yes, I wish I would have invested more earlier and just let it sit in something steady and slow, like an S and P index fund. Okay. But since I really don't feel like I got decades to write out the stock market fluctuations, that's not really helpful to me now. So if you're young, uh, you might think about doing that. Again, I'm not giving financial advice because I'm not qualified, but it, yeah, I would have. I, I would have, I wouldn't have given advice, but I, I probably, I would have done that had I been smarter when I was younger. Here's what I have learned though. And here's some takeaways that I hope will be helpful for you. It's your life, it's your money, and it's your choice. And nobody else gets a vote. Nobody else gets a say unless you decide to give it to them. My advice, don't. It's your responsibility, all of it. You're not a victim except of your own bad decisions. Don't repeat them. Fix them if you can, and if you can't, figure out the best way to move forward in spite of them. It may be what you most hoped for. It may not be what you most hope for doesn't matter. It can still be all right. Again, you got to find a way forward. And if that means lowering your expectations, then get busy and get it done. Life isn't going to wait. So don't waste your life. Debt will destroy you. Ditch it as quickly as possible. If you don't have debt, then don't take it on now. And other than health, it, it's the single biggest game changer in determining the quality of your life. Make up your mind to finish strong. Even if your start, even if your middle wasn't all that spectacular, just remember it's how you finish. So finish strong. Others, it's not about you. It's about your impact on other people. Be as impactful as you can in all the best ways. 
Do for others what they might be unable to do for themselves. Let service define your life. You get to decide what that looks like, by the way. I spend hours a day listening to people as they battle their challenges. I try to help people figure it out. I podcast, I create, I write, I preach. The root of all of this is my urge, my yearning to make a positive difference for other people. Fundamentally, I will tell you, it is selfish, I suppose, because it it may do much more for me than it does for somebody else. I do it because I'm wired for it. I do it because I love it. I do it because I learned a long time ago. I'm good at it. Cash flowing life is for me the very best choice. Retirement doesn't mean not earning income. I continue to work. I plan to continue to work. The work isn't the same, but the income matters. And I'm now, I'm now very focused on how much time I will trade for how much money. Now I know all the advice is don't trade time for money. I got news for you. We're all trading time for money. For me, it's a twofold equation at this stage of life. How do I want to spend my days? Well, I got a newsflash for you. It's always been this equation for me because I've always thought, how do I want to spend my days and how much do I want to earn? And I'm harmonizing the two. I'm not going to say balance. I'm harmonizing. And for me, that works. How do I want to spend my days? How much do I want to earn? Now you do you. My financial goals, they've changed through the years. I mean, today, come on, it's me and Rhonda, and we've been empty nesters for decades. Today, I want to earn as much money as I make through Social Security. I don't want that 70% thing. I want 50%. And as a couple, if we can match what we get in the retirement income with our monthly earnings, well, Bully for us, we're just going to be that much more comfortable. This is not about opulence. It's not about being fancy. It's, it's, it's not, we're not opulent or fancy anyway, even when I was making significant money. And it's not about retirement income in the sense of, well, okay, so the money that we've saved, how much can we make off of that? Or how can, you know, can we... Can we get the math to work out so that we spend down the amount that we've saved and use that money to supplement? No, 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 no. I want to pretend like that money doesn't even exist. It does exist. And if I need it, great. If we need it, we need it, but it's there. I just pretend it's not there. This is what I call cash flowing retirement. For me, this is about contentment. This is about resting easy, free of fretfulness, free of worry. Well, as much as possible. You know, about a year ago, I began to carefully plan this stage of life. I've talked about it before, you know, all the spreadsheet stuff that I've done. And as I put numbers into the spreadsheet of projected and real monthly expenses, I had this epiphany. And, well, you know, I am just a man in search of an epiphany. And I started thinking of income in terms of the months of expenses. You ever done this? Uh, newsflash, I had not until this. Well, it happened when I put some money into a high-yield CD, a certificate of deposit. I've never been a big CD guy, but come on, as you get older, you don't want to take chances with your money. 
And if you put money in a CD at a bank, okay, well, it's federally insured and you're not going to lose it. Uh, and when the CD matures, I realized that I would have a return on that investment that would be equal to a few months of total overhead for us. Well, that, that got the wheels turning. There was my epiphany. And I started thinking in those terms. I started thinking about investments and income and the game grew and it grew and it became this question. How many months of expenses can I defray and how quickly? So if this CD investment, I'm thinking, okay, if this CD investment, if that can shave off two or three months of expenses, okay, then that leaves me with, okay, now I got nine, nine or 10 months of income that I need to earn to offset the balance of the months. The message is figure out what game you want to play, figure out game, what game you need to play, figure out what game you enjoy playing. I kind of enjoy this game. It's kind of a fun game to play. Embrace it, execute it. Make the most of it. If it works swimmingly, great. If it doesn't work swimmingly, okay, make adjustments. Fall in love every day. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 continues to be one of the most powerful verses in all of Scripture for me. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For me, the power is God did not wait for us to make the first move. He made the sacrifice on our behalf well before we ever thought about obedience, well before we thought about sacrificing ourselves for him. That's love. You establish your own priorities. That one's mine. I don't always get it right, but it is a constant point of emphasis. God comes first. He demands first place. I'm hoping and working and trying and learning and growing to put him there. I fall in love with Rhonda every single day. I choose to because I choose her. And as we approach our 46th wedding anniversary, I refuse to let complacency or boredom rule our marriage. I refuse to let any other human being become a bigger priority. Doesn't mean I love the rest of my family less because, well, we all have a greater capacity for love than maybe we realize. It does mean that she is the priority for me, though. She is without peer. And I hope to behave in a way that I will continue to help her fall in love with me more every day. Laugh. Smile. Yeah, they're verbs, action words, laugh, smile, do it, find a way. You will see me post a lot of cartoons. If you are in the Facebook group, you're not. What's your deal? I will post a, a ton of Ballard Street, Herman, Far Side cartoons. They make me laugh. They make me smile. Funny is a big part of my daily existence. I am always interested in and always looking for something that's funny and it's a little bit for me like music. I cannot imagine. I cannot imagine living a day without humor, cry, embrace sorrow, not just for yourself, but firstly for others, let the tears move you to do something. If you're able, and if you're not able, then let the tears move you anyway, because it means that you're not past feeling. It means that your empathy is intact and you know what? That makes you a better human. Give it a moment. Give it a period of time. 
No, don't fall into some hole of darkness and despair that's hard to pull away from, but lean into the sadness, lean into the sorrow. Don't repel it. Just know why you're feeling what you're feeling and embrace the feeling. Yeah, it's the feeling of being alive. It's the feeling of caring. Share. Don't go it alone. Be vulnerable with somebody. We are all fighting a fight. We're all happy about something. We all need other people to laugh with, to cry with, to plan with, to make our lives fuller and richer. We also need people who will push us to become better. Some weeks ago, I greeted a client, walked up, shook hands, and I inquired how life was treating him. And he said, I couldn't be better. And I replied, sure you could. And, of course, we laughed. It's what I do. I laugh and I challenge. He knows I don't have any dog in the hunt except to help him and help his organization become better. Always, always better. Surround yourself with somebody or a group of somebodies who can do that for you. And I'd add to that, be somebody or be part of the somebodies who can do that for other people. Expel the unsafe people from your life. Expel all of them and do that as quickly as you can. Now, don't confuse this with people who want your best and they challenge you and you don't much like that. While we all need people to be safe, just understand that their safety is because they have only our best interest at heart. There's nothing in it for them except seeing us succeed. Unsafe people are those people who don't have our best interest in mind. They are only thinking of themselves. They want what they want, and they mostly want you to conform to whatever will help them achieve their outcome. They are filled with harsh, critical, self-based judgment, and any errors, any mistakes you make, oh, they will publicly be held against you. The word that pops to my mind always about these kinds of people is just one word, toxic, poisonous. You cannot get them out of your life fast enough. I have never, ever seen anybody err on the side of removing those kinds of people too quickly, mostly because I don't think it's possible. I don't think you can get rid of these people fast enough. So do it as fast as you can. And lastly, keep asking, now what? Today's a page. I don't know. Maybe today's a paragraph. Maybe today's a sentence. Maybe today's an entire chapter. I don't know. But as long as you're alive, you're still writing life. Don't stop writing. Don't give up writing. Turn the page. Figure out how to create the most profitable chapter, the most profitable sentence, the most profitable paragraph you can today. And do it right, right now. In fact, do it, do it this very second. I've not decided if I'm coming back the rest of the year. Yeah, I probably will. I'm not going to make a commitment for the rest of the year. Here we are. We're closing out the first week in December. I'll probably put a bow on this and 
bring at least one more episode, but I'm not going to commit to more than that. Eh, we'll just see how it goes. Cause like you, I'm asking the question, okay, now what? And I might have another epiphany. And if I do, well, you know me, I'm taking my own advice. I'm not going this alone. I'm sharing. You may not appreciate the sharing. That's your choice. No, you probably are. Cause if you've stuck with me this long and you're still listening, you're appreciating it. Otherwise, I don't know why you're still here. But boy, am I glad you are. You know the deal, man. Without you, I'm just a guy sitting in a room talking into a microphone to himself, which, by the way, I would still be doing. I am that guy. (laughs) 2023. We are absolutely closing in on it and fixing to put a bow on it. I hope it's been great. It ain't over yet. So just like my advice in our life, finish strong, finish strong, finish strong. There's no time to rest. You've seen the sprinters as they come to the tape at the end of the race. It's man, lean forward, bow out your chest, get across the finish line in the strongest form fashion that you can and Let's call this a a good race that we ran. So let me encourage you to do that. I got nothing else, kids. Do I sound tired? I am. The insomnia has absolutely whipped me. Preoccupied. And in, in a good way. I will tell you absolutely in a good way. I've got, I've got. I've got so many ambitions for things pertaining to this and a few other podcasts, especially as this video stuff goes. I'm, I'm, I'm just, yeah, I'm, I'm really trying to figure it out. It's exciting that it's something new. I feel energized by the growth and the improvement that I'm at least striving for. It, will it work out? I don't know. I could fail miserably, but hey, let's try. Why not? It's not so much about shameless retirement as it is about shameless living. And I hope that's what you got from today's show. LeaningTowardWisdom.com is the website. My name is Randy Cantrell. Greetings and welcome inside the Yellow Studio. Studio.